0: It is wonderful to be, to be back with you, especially for uh, a night like this. It's actually great to be at an engaged service where I don't have to drum. Um, uh, no offence, Isaac. But, um, and uh, it is brilliant to be here. If I, if I haven't met you yet, um, my name's Drew. Uh, as Dave said, uh, Kat and I were members here for, uh, sorry, we were attenders here for about four and a half years. I was a member here for about four of those. Uh, and so it is wonderful to be back uh, amongst family and friends. Um, John Piper. Uh, recently stated, singing to God isn't just a nice emotional trip to spice up a worship service. It is an attack against sin and Satan. And I I wonder if that's the attitude that we come to our sung time of praise. I wonder do we view it with that lofty a purpose? Or I wonder how many times we've allowed the the corporate singing part of our worship service to become a bit mundane, maybe even viewed as a Convenient time filler between the important parts of the service. Now, I realize for you to have chosen to be here tonight, there's a high chance that you value the corporate act of sung praise together. Um, if you didn't know that that's what tonight was, then I hope you're, you're pleasantly surprised by that. But regardless of our level of passion for musical worship, uh, there is a danger for all of us that we can allow, we can allow that process to become mundane, to become familiar, to become more about style and substance. And so tonight we're going to focus our thoughts on one of the many helpful and transformative purposes of displaying our worship to God through song. As Ruth has already introduced, we're going to look at the fact that worship can be a weapon. And to help frame our thoughts, we're going to study a little bit from Second Chronicles 20. And just by way of introduction, if you'd like to know more about Second Chronicles 20, can I encourage you not only to read the book, but also to visit the Bible project? Uh, com. They've got a fabulous overview of every book of the Bible, and particularly Second Chronicles. Um, but just by way to, to bring us up to speed, Second Chronicles, First uh, and Second Chronicles are part of the history books of the Old Testament, and they actually reference a lot of the same material that are in First and Second Kings. And I know you're studying through First Kings at the minute, um, but Second Chronicles particularly focuses on. The, the history of Judah, the southern kingdom. Uh, and the main reason for that is the writer of the Chronicles wants to show that the promise, the covenant that came to King David was still going on. And so actually he totally ignores the northern kingdom of Israel mostly and focuses on how God is still active through the southern kingdom. So the beginning of Second Chronicles starts with Solomon and then we go through every king that follows him. And so when we join the story in chapter 20, The king is a guy called Jehoshaphat, who's generally considered to be one of the good guys, one of the good kings. And there's not many of them, but he is one of them. But Jehoshaphat finds himself in a bit of trouble. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I would really encourage you to. It will help expand on the points that I hopefully bring out tonight. We're only going to pick out a few verses, but it is a remarkable story. And just by way of summarizing that chapter, word comes to Jehoshaphat that an army is attacking him and Jerusalem. And so he gathers his people together, and the first thing they do is to worship. And Jehoshaphat leads the people in a remarkable prayer of faith, and we see that from verses 6 through to verse 12. And then a prophet, a guy called Jehaziel, stands before the people and brings a great word of comfort and a great word of promise from God. And essentially through him, God promises that the battle won't even have to be fought. God will take care of the fighting for them. All they have to do is take their positions and trust in him. And this promise leads Jehoshaphat then to praise God. And all the people then are led in sung worship as a song praise as a response to God's promise. Then the day of the battle comes. The whole army get ready. They go and take their positions. Jehoshaphat then appoints men to sing praises to God. And as the singing rises, the enemies that came to attack the people of Judah are defeated. The enemies actually that came from various sides, they turn on each other and they're totally wiped out. All the while, the people of Judah have been standing, singing praises to their God, and their worship was the only weapon that they raised that day. It's an incredible scene, and there's so many lessons that we could draw out this evening, but with the theme of worship as a weapon, particularly in our minds, I'm gonna think about three things, particularly as a weapon against sin, temptation, and Satan himself. And so hopefully tonight we'll see that worship refocuses our attention, Worship recognizes who is in control and worship recalls God's truth, his truth. So worship refocuses our attention in verse 12. And this comes, verse 12 comes at the end of Jehoshaphat's amazing prayer of faith. And we've seen him demonstrate an awareness of God's power, a recalling and a recognition of God's activity in the lives of his people in the past and his trust in God's ability to continue to lead them in the present as well as in the future. It's a real prayer of worship, giving God praise, giving God the honor that he deserves because of who he is and what he's done. It's a fabulous prayer. And it finishes with this phrase. Jehoshaphat concludes his prayer by saying, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a wonderful statement of faith, statement of dependence. And a statement of honesty. I don't know how many times you have found yourself praying something like that. I don't know what to do. But I wonder how many times I followed that up with, but my eyes are on you. There's something here about an honest cry of of concern, of fear, but then of total dependence and total faith. And this is the difference that following God makes in your life. The Bible doesn't promise that following God will remove the obstacles that cause you to question, cause you to doubt, and cause you to fear. But the difference that following God makes is displayed in, Joshua, in Jehoshaphat's conclusion. Our eyes are on you. See, in the midst of uncertainty, of questions, of fears, God's people can refocus their attention away from the problem in front of them to the person who's with them. So refocus our attention away from the problem in front of us to the person who's with us. And we can do that through sung praise, consciously focusing on what we know about who God is, about what he's done, and what he's promised for the future. And in doing so, we can take our eyes off the trials that are in front of us and focus our attention on the God who we know. Now, it doesn't make our trials disappear, but it can help us to see them in a different perspective. And in comparison to the God who we come to worship, everything else seems smaller. So worship refocuses our attention. And with our attention now more squarely on God, Jehoshaphat, and the people then are in a better posture to hear from him. And that's what happens then next, when we see that worship recognizes who is in control. And so Jehoshaphat has led the people in prayer. The people then gather, and then shortly after, the prophet Jehaziel stands and he claims that he has a, a message from God and that message is remarkable. And the two verses that I just want to highlight are verses 15 and verses 16, where Jehaziel says, you don't have to worry, you don't have to fear, for the battle is not yours but God's. He goes on to say, you'll not have to fight this battle, verse 17. Take up your position, stand firm and see deliverance that the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. It's a wonderful message that comes through this prophet. And we're told specifically in chapter 20 that the the Lord's spirit was upon Jehaziel as he speaks these words. These are words directly from God. You don't have to be afraid because the battle isn't yours, it's mine. There's nothing to fear. And the reason there's nothing to fear is because there's nothing outside of God's control. See, sung worship again can help us to recognize this reality, especially in circumstances and in situations that seem to suggest otherwise. The reason that we worship should help us recognize who is in control, because the the attention, if we refocus our attention on God, not on our circumstances, then we can see that God is in control despite what's happening in front of us. Because when our attention is refocused on God, then we're confronted by God's sovereignty, God's all-knowingness, the perfect timing of God all of which can sometimes fly in the face of the circumstances that we're in front of, but they can help us. That truth, that reality can help us fight against the doubts and the fears that we have. So the people of Judah, they needed to hear that the battle was the Lord's because it seemed too great for them to cope with. But knowing that God was in control didn't lift all responsibility from them. God's directive to them wasn't, don't worry, the battle is mine, so stay in camp. Sit where you are. No, the people still had to go. They still had to guard themselves for, for fight, for war, and then they had to go and take up their positions, but in their positions, they were to sing. They were to keep their eyes focused on God. See, they were to be open enough to his leading, but then obedient enough to follow him. And we need to make sure that we're just not great singers of great songs, but actually that those songs lead us to action. So worship refocuses our attention It recognizes who is in control. And then finally, worship recalls his truth. So the day of the battle, Jehoshaphat gathers people around him. He appoints worship leaders to guide the whole group in worship. And look at what they sing in verse 21. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. And this is their song, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. See, the foundation of their worship, now that their attention was refocused, now that they recognized who was in control, the foundation of their worship was on the unchanging truths that they knew of God, the splendor of his holiness, and how he He deserves thanks because his love endures forever. See, unchanging, unshakable truths Those statements, they're not based on the circumstances that the people of Judah find themselves in. They're not based on the circumstances that you and I find ourselves in tonight. They are based on the nature of our sovereign and of our loving God. And this is what song worship should do it should bring to our minds the truths of who God is, what He's done, what He's promised to do. And worship, I think, is a unique way of doing this because song lyrics stick in our heads. I mean, you only have to. I have a kid who sings "Baby Shark" to know how this is true. And so when we put scriptural, godly truths to music, then they can be recalled much quicker sometimes than some of us find with passages of scripture. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't memorize scripture. don't mishear me. I'm just saying that musical singing can help that memory to take place. And so in our fight against sin and our fight against Satan and our fight against temptation, how valuable it is to recall the truths of God, just as Jesus did in Matthew four when he was confronted by Satan himself. And so the vehicle of musical worship is a great way to do that. And just as a quick aside, this is why it is so important that the words that we sing are carefully chosen. It's something that I know that, that the worship leaders, the music coordinators in this church and the leadership of this church are passionate about and rightly so because worship should recall his truth. It shouldn't be a bunch of emotional stuff that isn't based on truth. And so the songs that we sing are important and it's important to be discerning when we're choosing them. So as we fight against sin, as we fight against Satan, as we fight against temptation, worship is a weapon. And I hope you can see how these all focus and link together. That worship refocuses our attention. It recognizes who is in control and it recalls his truth. All of which show us that worship is a weapon because worship is about God. And it directs us to him. That our eyes are taken to him. Our trust is placed on him. Our foundations are built on his truth. And this conclusion shouldn't surprise us. Worship, by its very essence, should drive us to God should drive us to think about his character, drive us to think about his activity, drive us to think about how he has acted in and through his people in the past, to relish in his truth, to relish in his promises. That's what worship is. And so as the band rejoin me, I wanna go back to Piper's quote. We could see that to attack sin, to attack Satan, the weapon of sung worship is vital because it refocuses our attention on the goodness of God not the facade that's offered by sin. Worship recognizes who is in control, which gives us strength, gives us power to overcome temptation, overcome questions, overcome doubts. And worship recalls his truth, which helps us to nullify the lies that Satan would seek to whisper in our ear to entice us away from God's good, God's pleasing so worship is a weapon. So let's take it up. and Let's declare these truths. Let's refocus our attention. Let's remember who's in control. And let's recall his truths and then live in the reality of what we sing.